left on their face with a hobnailed boot and broke their nose. One, two, three. Bullshit. Welcome to the Title Run Sports Podcast, and oh man, are we excited about this one. We're coming to you today with a victory edition of the podcast with the three members of our Title Run Sports Dog Nation crew, Dr. J and Scott the Stat Assassin, all jumping on. Forget the regular intro. Dude, we are national champions for the first time in our lifetime. How you guys feeling? It has been zero years since we won the national championship it's it's an unbelievable feeling i can't i I can't even describe it yeah zero years it's uh let's see do we have the list of how long it's been for everybody else yeah (laughs) no more tech we won one in 1990 you won one in 1980 jokes it's gone it's done uh so yeah we're excited we're gonna react to this and then do a little bit of breakdown of the game um we all went to UJ at the same time. We suffered through heartbreak after heartbreak uh, during the Mark Rick years. It was basically a compet- a national championship contender every five years, 02, 07, and 12. Kirby's had two really, really good shots at it. Maybe you could argue three. He had a good shot at 18 also um, in his first six years, had us competitive, and finally he gets over the hump and – if you're new to this show, uh, please make sure you like and subscribe on your podcasting platform. Follow us on social media, Facebook and Twitter, and email us, titlerunsports at gmail.com. Guys, gut reaction. Take me through your emotions during the game. You know, I was just saying to somebody this week that it felt really special because to me it seemed like it wasn't just special to Georgia fans. Mm-hmm. It seemed like even uh-huh. like around the country – national media, like other football fans that aren't Georgia fans, it seemed like everyone knew how big of a deal this was for Georgia to win the championship, you know, after having had such a long drought for such a proud program to boot, it was an exciting game. So it was one everybody, you know, it felt like the whole world was watching, especially when it got interesting there, you know, in the second half. And, um, I, you know, I, I really felt like not only was I watching the moment that I've been waiting for my entire life. Um, But I felt like I was, I was sharing it with like the whole world, obviously Alabama, God love them. There's plenty of Alabama fans out there. Some of them are my family, (laughs) Um, but they've won so much. If it had been anybody, they probably would have been, you know, most of the world have been rooting for Alabama to lose. Right. You know, for many reasons, it felt special to me and it felt, it felt like it was a big deal. Um, for everybody that was watching, whether you were a Georgia fan or not. Maybe I imagined that, but I, I found myself thinking that this week. All right, so I'll walk you through my emotional timeline <laughs> uh, before the game. Feeling pretty good, but also just ready for the game to be over. <laughs> and mostly just didn't want to have to hear all the stupid takes of what would have would have spewed out right mm. if had it had gone like slightly different yeah. yeah yeah um so anyway game gets going defense is doing what they're supposed to mm-hmm. which is not giving up touchdowns right mm-hmm. getting getting about the same amount of pressure as the first game but getting it just a half second earlier mm-hmm. right so first game lots of consistent pressure but never in time to affect things and so getting pressure uh Stetson on offense was whoo. He was an adventure in that first drive. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> that first gosh. drive we'll did that, not but... did not set a good tone. Wow. Um, 
But by the time we got to half and it's nine to six, mm-hmm. I'm feeling pretty good. Yeah. I'm like nine to six. We cannot play sloppier mm-hmm. hardly than we did in the first half. It's nine to six. So I'm feeling pretty good. Um, and then we get a touchdown, feeling good. And we all know the, uh, the fumble ish thing that Ooh. happened. <laughs> and then at that point, of course, you're just like, oh, come on. This really can't happen again. Like, yeah. I mean, yep. come yep. on. Yep. And then we turn around and score a touchdown like immediately. And I'm like, oh, never mind. It's that year. We're good to go. Yeah. And then got to just yeah. enjoy the rest of the way. Has there ever been anything more expected than the Stetson Bennett fumble? Yeah. And then anything else less expected than us recovering from that? <laughs> I mean, just in terms of the emotional roller coaster, right? Yeah. I- you know, we'll talk more about it, but credit to Stetson for shaking off what had been a really bad game and some really bad plays <laughs> to make some really, really big plays at the end. Yeah, and I think the way I described it to people was that the uh, game for me was not very enjoyable, but it's very satisfying because – that was kind of a, it was a very sloppy game in the first half. Like it was, when I say it wasn't super entertaining, it was entertaining because I'm a Georgia fan, but if I'm someone else watching the game, I'm like, it's nine to six. Like, what are we watching? Is this, is this, is this 2011 again? Like, what are we watching? And of course, as we know, all of the action took place in the fourth quarter, which was as good as the fourth quarter of any national championship game we've had in recent memory. It was, it was as good as those Clemson Alabama games. It was, it was a good fourth quarter. It was very entertaining. Lots of back and forth, three lead changes. I think the last national chip game that did have three lead changes in it was the 2016 Clemson Alabama game, I believe. Um, so it was, it finished with a great finale. And I, I predicted Georgia to win felt terrible about that prediction, but I stick with my guns because of what we've said all week long. And for the last month, which is that everything in that game that you can look at statistically was completely anomalous for the entire season for both teams, Alabama, not having gone in a game with all season without a sack, Georgia, not having gone all season without getting a sack Bryce Young's second highest pass rating of the year, which was almost perfect or excuse me, his second highest QBR of the year, which was almost perfect, was against Georgia. Like, these things aren't repeatable. Georgia just plays an average game on defense. They're holding Alabama to 24 is what I thought, or 27 if that, what I thought. If they just play an average game. Little did I know they were going to play a phenomenal game, which you hoped for, but you didn't expect it. Not, not that level where the only touchdown you give up was on a 16-yard drive on a play that should have been OPI. I mean, mm-hmm. I did not expect that. And and playing that well, plus Jameson Williams getting hurt is how they score like 12 points, really. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and so just my initial feeling, my initial feeling as uh, Noah Aiken is joining the podcast. Can he get us get, get us a go dog, Scott? Is he able to do that? Go yes, yes sir. trained him well. Thank you, <laughs> Noah. That's awesome. But um, like you said, like. When Stetson makes the throw, you just – it's 28-3 to all over again. It's the 1996 World Series against the Yankees. It's mm-hmm. game seven against the Twins, 91. It's every traumatic Atlanta-Georgia sporting event. It's 2012 SC Championship. It's the 2012 uh, NFC Championship game. Every traumatic sporting event you've ever endured as a fan, 
comes back. And you're just waiting for the other shoe to drop. And the thing is, we all were waiting for the Stetson to make that mistake. He'd gone three quarters without doing it, managing the game, looking ugly doing it, but keeping us in the game. And then he does it, and you're like, you did it now. Like, literally, you, you seriously did it now. And, and, of course, he only maybe did it. Yeah, well. And, and then Alabama accidentally recovered it. I mean, come on. <laughs> literally, literally recovered it by accident. Literally put their foot in by a blade of artificial turf by yeah. accident. I just, it, it couldn't have been more reminiscent of of the curse uh, that's just what it felt like at that, that moment. was the just... most atlanta sports moment you could possibly <laughs> have and but as we said and i said this now for a while 2017 joseph martinez from atlanta united breaks the curse for our city i've said it <laughs> i've said it or is it 2018 sorry 2018 joseph martinez breaks the city sports curse it feels good. Let's go ahead before we run out of time here because I know we don't have unlimited time tonight. Let's get to a little bit of breakdown for the game. Um, a couple of things that we got right, which was a lot. We got a lot right. We thought that UJ would win the line of scrimmage in this game this, the second time, and boy, did they ever. 39 pressures on 57 dropbacks. Crazy. And, it, and again, if you told me the first game that Bryce Young had zero was sacked zero times, I could have told you that he threw for 400 yards. We all could have said that. Mm-hmm. We didn't think it was possible. This game, if you told me that he dropped back 57 times, I'm saying that may not be a bad thing. That means that UJ is either completely stifling their run game or we're ahead. Mm-hmm. And so if you told me that on 39 of those dropbacks, he'd be pressured, I would say Georgia probably won pretty easily. Now, that wasn't the case, but we did win. And it's what we've said all year. People talk to me like my brother-in-law, you know, Georgia can't cover guys in the back end. I said, hey, you're right. We know that, but you got to get the ball off. How many times do you see Bryce Young just a hair off in receivers because of pressure in his face? And I don't mean like a hand in his face. I mean, this dude got blasted on some of these throws. And, you know, I think look, the coverage downfield is the weaker was the weaker part of this defense. People act like it's terrible just because it's not the best no, front no, seven no. of all time, right? And so – People are like, oh, you can throw on that defense. It's like, no, you forgot a couple caveats. You can throw on that defense if you have a first-round pick at quarterback and multiple first-round picks at receiver, receiver, and you have an offensive line that can hold up against yep. probably the best front seven of all time. Yep. If yep. you check all those boxes, you can throw on this defense. Teams that check and, that box, exactly one. And yeah, they, I mean, they were only able to do it once. 2019 LSU, yeah. they could have checked that box. Yeah. And yeah. I actually thought – I. I really found myself thinking that our coverage in that game was was really pretty good. Oh I mean, yes, the, it was. Mm-hmm. The um, really the play where Williams got hurt Bust. was probably the worst it was all night. Mm-hmm. That was that Bust. was the moment when it's okay. Are we going to do this again? Um, and other than that play, really, uh, we didn't. I mean, the other really long one was to their tight end there. Um, he won a one on one. Yeah. yeah, that wasn't that wasn't and, a busted was, coverage as much as he just he he got outside of Ringo and then and Young made a heck of a throw on that. Yeah, on that, yeah, that was a, well. a really really good throw where mm-hmm. the ball placement part of accuracy threw him mm-hmm. into openness and a big mm-hmm. play, right? Yeah, and so really, I mean, all night long, I I was also very impressed with what Young did, especially under the pressure that he was getting. Mm-hmm. Like some of the throws he was still making. And drops that were coming from his receivers. I mean, he he was still making throws under under heavy duress. 
Um, but a lot of the time I felt like there was a DB there. Like there was somebody there mm-hmm. challenging the pass most of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I, they, they, the defense maybe played about as well as they could have. I, that, that was really true. And listen, we won the line of scrimmage on the other side of the ball too. Mm-hmm. I think, um, I think there was more pressure on Bennett yes, in was. this game there was. Than, there, than there was in the first game. I thought Alabama's pass rush was a little bit more effective um, on the other hand, uh, we were able to run the ball, especially when we needed to, especially there in the second half. Um, you know, we did make the adjustment, of course, of uh, moving Sawyer over to guard, um, and that and that seemed to um, to really make a difference. Um, but I think on both sides of the ball, we did win the line of scrimmage, and that was really the story. And we said won the line of scrimmage. Georgia running back, so let's take Stetson Bennett's running because – Y'all know that they do the yardage for quarterbacks so goofy in college. It's sack yardage and rushing yards combined. So take sets and minutes running and sack yardage out. UJ running backs had 22 carries for 164 yards. Mm. That's over seven yards a carry. And yep. take out James Cook's 67-yard run. You got 21 for 67 for 97, still over four yards a carry, which is something that I pointed out to people this week. Georgia ran the ball in Alabama in the first game. Uh, we just had an OC that gave up on it early in the game. They averaged over four yards to carry with runs from the running backs when you took out Stetson Bennett's sack yardage. So I wasn't shocked that we ran the ball in Bama. Now, I was shocked we lined up in the fourth quarter when they knew we were going to run it and pushed it right down their throats. Oh. Mm-hmm. Running the play that the three of us have said for two years is the best play in Georgia's playbook. What is that play, guys? <laughs> Counter. Counter. We have called for it, and when Georgia needed it, what do we ran? Uh, we ran counter right down their throats. Oh, it was beautiful. Zeus and, just okay. chewing it up. Yeah. You, you know what made it so beautiful? It's a combination of things, right? It's the combination of, like, you know that that just, like, scratches a perfect itch for the Georgia fan base <laughs> of beating yeah. somebody by running yeah. the ball. Yeah. But also, I know that it makes so many other fan bases so mad. Mm-hmm. Like, Alabama has to be so mad. When you're running the ball mm-hmm. on them, all those Florida people who haven't watched football in like two months have to be so <laughs> mad that you're winning with defense and running the ball and a walk on quarterback when they like, you know, pray to the God of points and only believe in <laughs> offense. It has to make them so angry. And I absolutely love and it. And this gives us an important point right here. So Georgia held Bama to 24 carries for 73 rushing yards, taking out Bryce Young's yardage because, you know, with the sacks, it, they were like 28 for 30, which was not really a real number. So 24 carries for 73 yards for their backs. Not good. And in the fourth quarter, when they're when Bill O'Brien's feeding random handoffs to Brian Robinson, I'm like, yes, please, that's a wasted play. But that's literally a wasted play. But we broke the trend. We said at the beginning of the year, actually back in the offseason, we said you got to score for it to be a national championship team. And Georgia's a team that averaged 39 points or 37 points a game. So we were close. I mean, we're right around there, whatever it was. I don't remember what the final number is, but like we were in a we were a good offense. We were top five offense. But the caveat was, and I heard this from people. I heard talking to my brother-in-law about this. Like, I just don't believe a team that's strength as defense can win. Well, guess what? It is when your defense is historically good, even in this era of college football. Wait, wait, wait. Nick Saban and a Heisman Trophy quarterback can't beat that. Well, yeah, you can when you have one of the best defenses in the in this era of college football, Scott. Uh, I would just like to point out the the lovely fallacy of, oh, you can't win with defense. 
it would have to be some all-time generational defense, blah, blah, blah. It's an offensive league. It's offensive game. Why? Because we had the two best offenses of all time in back-to-back years, years yeah. that won national titles. Yeah. Those are also outlier offenses. That's a good and point. Don't get me wrong. It you know The game gets more and more offense-heavy every year, scoring more points, mm-hmm. right? And in the old days, it was defense wins championships. Now it's offense wins championships. And that's never really been true. It's always been the best, like, well-rounded, all-around overall team wins championships. Usually it's by being good at offense and defense. Like you said, average 40 points a game. Is the defense the first team? The defense is what really carried the team. It's the strength of the team. But the offense still had to have some level of competency, yeah. right? And then you look at, like, the LSU team that really struggled at times defensively was extremely talented and had to play pretty well down the stretch mm-hmm. to actually win their meaningful game. They were really injured at the beginning of the year when they were legitimately a bad defense. And as people got healthy, people that were playing, but I remember uh, Grant Delpit was playing hurt at the beginning of the year. They had guys out. I think Kayla Von Chasen missed time at the beginning of that year. Uh, I don't remember all the people that were, but like they got guys back and they got healthy. And that was a defense that I think had – like three top 100 players in addition to all the guys they had on offense. So, like, yeah, like what you're saying is 100% spot on. Like, actually, I think they had four. They had Patrick Queen, Caleb on Chasen, yeah. uh, Delpit, and uh, their, who's the corner? Uh, Fulton. So, yeah, they – I mean, that was a good – like you said, they had talent on defense too. I mean, it was a good team. And like I said, as much as we can get into the, the deep X and O's, the biggest thing – and you said it, Jay, like we didn't – we controlled the line of scrimmage and at times completely dominated the line of scrimmage. Alabama could not stop counter. We ran it right down their throats. And on the last two drives, we moved the ball on them with ease. With ease against what was the best rushing defense in college football. It was. And when Georgia decided they wanted to run the ball, and Jay, you've said this all year, when anytime we have run the run of the ball in the fourth quarter in every single game, no matter how poorly we ran at the beginning of the game, we push it right Mm -hmm. down people's throats and make them like it. You can't do that to Alabama. Guess what? We did it at Alabama. Yep. Turns out you can. And the scary part is this offense line is going to be better next year. Broderick Jones at left tackle. You got Schaefer going out, and you're just going to slide in Ratledge at left guard. Van Pran at center, who's the best center that Georgia's had in years. Guard, you're going to have possibly McClendon sliding in, and then Amarius Mims at right tackle. <sighs> How good is that? Yeah. It, it could be really good. It, the assumption is that McClendon doesn't go pro right. where he, he's eligible and he could. I hope he doesn't. <laughs> I, I haven't heard any rumors yeah. that I'm going pro. He, he's not a guy, I think, that has like a first or second mm-hmm. round grade right now. He will, so he's probably, he will in a year and a half. But, yeah, in, in a year he might. So, you know, he, he probably should stay. That's his best financial decision, not just, uh, oh, go play for my team. It's like, no, play until you get an early round mm-hmm. contract because that's worth a lot more money and it sets you up for a second contract. But anyway, that aside, yeah, you're right. It could be a really good offensive line. You could be bringing back four Mm -hmm. or five guys that started. Right. I mean, yeah. And we'll miss Sawyer. Sawyer's a a beast. And for sure. He, yeah, he was throwing some dudes around in the second half. <laughs> that was a big part of why we could just pound the ball because he's a he's a bad dude. And so we haven't talked about it. We've talked about the defense. We've talked about the run game. 
we haven't talked about it yet. Stetson Bennett. We're saving Stetson it, Jay. Bennett. We're saving it. We're saving it. It's number four. Okay. The, all right. It's number all four. Right. Sorry. I didn't get this to you guys in time. It's number four. We're going to, we're going to close with Stetson actually. Uh, a couple right. things that y'all pointed on also that I want to circle back around to the coverage thought it was by far uh, Hendricks Kendrick's best game in coverage. Zero catches, right? I believe he allowed zero catches. Now, um, yeah. I know he had some moments in the year where he got interceptions, but a lot of his interceptions are plays where the ball just found him. Let's be honest, against Michigan, that's kind of how it happened. Yeah. By far his best game in coverage, and most importantly, he didn't have five PI penalties, so that was good. <laughs> Ringo, who I thought had his best game in coverage against Michigan, was really good, I thought, again, in this game. And I'm saying that above and beyond the interception. Got beat in the one play by Latu where he took a bad angle. He undercut the ball when he should not have. He should have played through his top side hip and tackled him. Runs him down, tackles him, huge play that stops a touchdown and leads to another field goal attempt. And the other big one, Lewis Seen got his mojo back. He was everywhere. First quarter, he comes up and just drops the hammer on. Was it was it Robinson? He smoked him and Robinson had some some big boy collision. Boy, yeah. Man, a, I mean, that's those moments where you're like, oh yeah. There's a lot of NFL guys in this game. <laughs> Do y'all remember the time Eric Berry and Tim Tebow collided on like the eight yard line in a Tennessee Florida game? And I thought the I thought the stadium was gonna explode. <laughs> it was one of those moments, and I was like, oh my gosh, those are two of the best football players I've ever seen making a good football play. That's how it was in Robinson hit scene. Both sides are getting up, getting up completely jacked about that big old hit. So yeah, like uh, but he was they, seeing, they had that third down. They had that third down, too. They tried to kind of leak Bolden out or mm. drag him across. I don't remember where he started, right? And Steen just comes from, like, off screen to just chase him down in the flats yeah. like it was nothing. And the guys who it were was, out there for yeah. us, I mean, they had to be the guys. I mean, as I'm now thinking of it, I mean, you just named three of them. Then, of course, it was Chris Smith and William Poole who were the other that got, you know, the most playing time in the game. I, I'm not even remembering a lot of plays where anybody other than those five were out there. I mean, who, who was next? Dan, Dan Jackson, Jackson got in late when we put in our dime package at the end of the game. Right. Yeah. Right. But at that point, we're just about out of DBs. Exactly. Like, we didn't have mm-hmm. a lot of options, which, you know, we're, we're not going to spend too much time on like the dumb, Oh, it's cause injuries narrative. Um, except to remind people that Georgia had a lot of injuries also. Yeah. We're going to get there in a second too. Like, yes. Yeah. Um, just some X and O stuff so I can get in for the people that like to listen to that stuff. Um, the biggest thing that we did not fix from game one, and I saw this when I was rewatching the game this week, is we had no answers for their bunch sets. We had no answer the first time we played them for the bunch sets. We had no answer this time. And what happens is that for whatever reason, Georgia insists on playing three over three to the bunch and trying to match it. So what they do is they always they do the same thing every time. They send two guys out, and then one comes back underneath, and we lose them. Every time. Now, they alternate who the guys are that break out and then come back underneath. But they kept doing that, and we consistently lost people. And so, like I said, they have the bunch. One guy goes vertical. Two other guys start the routes breaking out, and then one of the guys comes back in. Or two of the guys come in at different depths, and they create a natural pick so that the shallow guy can't get covered. And I've seen that route combination in high school. It's good. And our solution to it at the high school level is we box it meaning we bring out another extra defender and play four over three. It's a box technique. It's not new. It's They do it in the NFL. They do it in college. For whatever reason, we would not do it for the first three quarters, and we kept getting picked and rubs. Finally, Jameis Williams comes back on that underneath trail route and then turns it vertical up the seam and gets wide open. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, 
please stop playing it this way. Please stop trying to match it. We can't match it. Finally, finally in the fourth quarter, we box it and take it away. I think they threw the ball to Bolden and, and we ended up tackling him for like three yards. And the reason we were doing that is so that we could continue to bring pressure. So I understood it, but it's like, guys, we have done this now in two in a game and a half and it hasn't worked. So that was next. No thing that just drove me nuts. Uh, and obviously lots of pressures, a lot more edge pressures. Now the Kobe Dean was still lining up an a gap and blitzing, but we got a lot more edge pressures. There were several times I looked up and tanning and Channing Tindall was lined up in a wide nine and just blitzing straight off the ball, not even lined up at depth, but just coming straight off the ball. Also a lot of sets with, Quay Walker, Channing Tindall, and Nicobe Dean on the field, which I love. Essentially putting Tindall at mm-hmm. star, which I thought was a genius adjustment. So mm-hmm. it's a couple of X's and O's things we got right. Lots more man also. And Poole had his highest grade of the year of any game in coverage from PFF at 83%. And he was really, really good. And, and that know, was nice. X's, X's and O's wise, and talking about coverage, I don't know if y'all know this. I'm actually not 100% sure what happened on the Ringo interception that young actually did not have a lot of pressure on him he through particular. the ball yeah like mm-hmm. and he um mm-hmm. was maybe was it brooks he was throwing to i don't remember but his yeah, receiver almost either. looked like I, I, he didn't totally I think it was home or something yeah well and there's a bust in that play because if you watch it's set up like it's supposed to be a slot fade like it looks like slade bolden's running a slot fade but yet the other guy is running a go route so yeah. there was some kind of communi- miscommunication or bust in that route because you couldn't shouldn't have two guys running vertical in the same area if bolden's running deep he yeah. should be down the hash that's not a combination that's not a combination you draw no, you don't draw a slot fade in a go route so one of them is wrong but the ball was just grossly underthrown which was shocking because i, I like, think i think he was going for like a back shoulder yeah kind of yeah. thing which he should not have been doing based on how those two guys are running those same mm-hmm. routes in that area but it's late in the game and and he forced it and also uh, you know, Ringo's on his hip, but in a trail, it's just, but here's what happens guys. Even the best quarterbacks, if you put the ball 57 times, you're eventually right. going to throw a bad ball, yep. which is why you have to have some kind of run game. Mm-hmm. And I know that one of the reasons that they weren't running the ball as much was because uh, they didn't have a lot of depth at running back, which brings me to the thing we're going to crap all over real quickly here before we run out of time, that stupid injury narrative. We, oh, yeah, you beat us when we're playing our freshmen. Okay, well, Aaron Smith, the fastest player in college football, didn't play. Oh, he might have helped a little bit, you think? You know, for an offense that supposedly isn't explosive, maybe having the fastest guy in college football could possibly help. Oh, yeah, our All-American safety who, you know, should be playing where William Poole is, you know, the guy that you got a, that you guys abused in the SEC championship game. Yeah, that guy didn't play. Um, our first-round draft pick is running around on one leg at receiver. Oh, and oh, am I forgetting anybody else? Oh, yeah, our leading sack person didn't play. Um, yeah, is anybody else got hurt? Oh, yeah, our starting left guard didn't play. So <laughs> I don't want to hear that. Oh, and as for freshmen, we had true freshmen score our two last touchdowns on offense, and a redshirt freshman scored our last touchdown on defense, and we started a redshirt freshman at tackle and a redshirt freshman at center in the second half. So suck it, Bama. <laughs> Well said. All right, guys, before uh, we get kicked off here, let's talk about it. The mailman. He did it. He delivered. He did it. The mailman delivers. And I I I need to I need to personally apologize to Stetson <laughs> Bennett. I I didn't I didn't believe it. 
I, hey, y'all were there. Y'all were on the text message. Yeah, yeah. Before the UAB game, <laughs> I was I was befuddled that we weren't going to start Carson back. We all were. Over, that over, seems over like such a dumb dead. conversation. And that's how everybody was. Anybody <laughs> that says they felt any different is is not telling the truth. Yeah. I guess the one thing I've decided is that whatever you think about how much did Stetson Bennett benefit from the elite defense, you know, how much credit can we give him and how much credit can we not? The one thing I will not stand for is if anybody ever calls Stetson Bennett a game manager. He is not. He is not a game. That is not his style of play. Just because it's, it's not his style. It's not all. his style. <laughs> Just because he doesn't have John Elway's arm does not mean that Stetson Bennett was a game manager. He was not. He is not. I will never stand for anybody calling him that. You know, would we have won the national championship this year if JT Daniels was completely healthy and the quarterback Probably. all year? Probably. I will never know. Um, but Stetson, but listen, statistically, I mean, just nothing but the black and white, just by the numbers, Stetson Bennett's year this year was as good as any season mm-hmm. or stretch of a season, really, that JT Daniels has ever had. It was better than any season Jake Fromm ever had. Um, that's true. A lot of his numbers actually were better than, um, like even what Aaron Murray would do in a single season, not anything touching his career numbers, you know? Yeah. Um, so listen, I, by the numbers, he he deserves as much credit as as we can give him, and um, I was just just what a, just what a crazy crazy story. I just, I, will anything like that ever happen again? It's hard to say. Did he end up with twenty nine touchdowns in the season? Twenty nine touchdowns, which is again, that's for a UJ quarterback. That's a very high number. We don't touch thirty very often, which is kind of sad. But that's a high number. By the way, Joe Burrow threw twice that in the twenty nineteen season. Just to give you context, <laughs> Joe Burrow had threw six touchdowns. <laughs> That year was wild. He that such a phenomenal year. Scott, final thoughts on Stetson Bennett before we get uh we get interrupted here and kicked off. Well, he did just enough, and that was kind <laughs> of the hope that we had for him. Right? Is we know he's not a future number one overall pick. Mm-hmm. We know he has some strengths and weaknesses, and if you can maximize those strengths and try and mitigate those weaknesses along with a really talented team and especially the defense, you can still win at a high level, Yeah, which doesn't sound like a hot take, but apparently that was a hot take all year. And we all said this, is Stetson good, Bennett good enough to win a national championship? Yes, because it's not relying on him. Like when you have a historic defense, he's the trigger man, but the game was not riding on him. I mean, did he have to make some plays? He had to. You cannot win a national championship without a quarterback making plays. But we all understood that when you have a team that is that good around you, there's probably 20 quarterbacks that could have won the national championship. But they didn't, and our guy did. And no matter what anybody says, that's his forever, and he'll never have to buy a drink again. <laughs> Flags fly forever. And – uh, still drunk interviews on Good Morning America are also forever. <laughs> yeah. So, well, all right, guys. I really appreciate y'all jumping on tonight. I'm going to wrap this up with a few thoughts. I know you guys got to get going. Um, I said this to my friend, Ben Trice. So ben, if you're listening, I think you even quoted me in saying this. But one of the things that happens when you're a Georgia and Atlanta sports fan is that at the end of that game, I find myself feeling almost more relieved that we didn't lose then I was genuinely happy that we won. And that's a testament to the fact that we as Atlanta sports fans are a deeply, deeply scarred and wounded people. But 
now that a little bit of time has passed, it's actually real. One of the things that you're seeing is so many people who are deeply, deeply emotionally tied to this championship. And, you know, a lot of it is love for football, love for the university, et cetera, et cetera. But I also think a lot of it is that it's finally seeing their hope fulfilled and seeing some of their pain healed. Because for a Georgia fan, it's not just that we've gone a long time without a championship. There have been a lot of other schools that have. But I don't know of another college football fan base that has been through as many close calls and disappointing outcomes right on the verge of a championship as Georgia has. You know, think about all the way back to when I was in college in 2002, just missing it because Ohio State pulls a miracle out against, I think it was Purdue, and we get left out of the BCS. 2007, we get hot, but because we had a stupid loss, Tennessee in the year, we can't make it. And then there's the legit close calls, like the 2012 SC Championship game, where four yards away from the national championship game where we probably could have beat Notre Dame. Obviously 2017 when you are in overtime with Alabama and you lose on second and 26 to Tua. And those moments just make you feel like it's never going to happen. And so for so many people, I honestly think that part of the reason that they are celebrating and excited the way they are is because there was really this sense that yes, we should be a team that wins a national championship at some point in the near future because of the talent and the way we recruited. But Alabama is just this huge obstacle that will ever keep it from happening. And finally, Kirby Smart has overcome that obstacle. So not only is it you know satisfying that you won a championship, it's a relief to know, oh my gosh, we finally overcame the biggest hurdle that's been in our way the last few years, which has been Alabama. And, and it gives you hope that maybe, just maybe, this is something that you could do again in the next few years. Going to be tough next year. Alabama is going to be absolutely loaded. Um, hopefully, we'll get some of these super singers to come back and give us some depth and experience. Lord, who knows what's going to happen with Stetson Bennett. But for right now, we are on the top of the mountain as Georgia Bulldog fans and alumni. And I think there is good reason to believe that we could be back on this mountaintop at some time in the near future. In other words way less than 41 years. Well, this has been Dave Bethay, Dr. J, and Scott, the Status Assassin from the Title Run Sports Podcast. That's it for today. Go dogs. <laughs>